listening to the Refinery Church Podcast. Each message is from our most recent weekend service located on our downtown Brea campus. We hope you are encouraged and strengthened from today's episode. Now for a timely message from Senior Pastor Kelly Fellows. Amen, right? Thank God for that. Now, I'll tell you, though, the challenge has been it was built in 1962 and it hasn't been updated, which is kind of cool because it looks really cool, right? But I mean, it needed some modernization. And so for the last couple of months, my wife and I have been living in a trailer uh, while the house has been renovated. Um, The good news is today we get to move into it this afternoon. Thank God. Right? Oh, man. Y'all know Orange County housing? That's a big deal, isn't it? It really is a big deal. As a matter of fact, I was in the house because I've been helping to do a lot of the work to help save the family money. Um, And uh, yesterday, or actually the day before yesterday, I was looking around at the house and how it has been transformed. It literally, I mean, it had dark wood paneling on the walls, which was really cool in the 60s and 70s, but not so cool now. And now it's these nice bright white walls and, you know, can lighting in the ceiling. And I'm just looking around going, man, this is so wonderful. I feel so blessed. I mean, genuinely blessed to have a home. And my wife and I were counting yesterday when we were driving in the, because we've been in ministry and we've gone where God has told us to go over the years. We've been married for 33 years and we have had 17 houses that we've lived in in 33 years. I know you think we were like in the witness protection program. The way we've moved around. Um, but, but thank God, my wife said, Kelly, I'm done moving. This is the house I'm staying in. And I said, God willing, that is exactly what will happen. We will get to stay in this house. Not only has uh, Leah's family made a way for us uh, by providing us this house, but they've poured a lot of money into getting it up to speed and making it a modern house for us. Um, and I was telling my father-in-law, Gil, him and his brother own these homes. I say, Gil, thank you for your generosity and your work. I mean, Gil's 74 years old and he was working at that house every day to get it ready for us. And I mean, I feel so thankful and so blessed. And you know, Gil's response was this. He goes, of course, Kelly, this property was purchased by my father, this property in these homes, and it was intended to be a blessing to the family. And you know, in that moment, I was thinking to myself, I'm not a placentia. I wasn't born into that family, yet I'm getting to experience the blessings of this family. And the reason why was because on December 16, 1989, I stood next to a woman by the name of Leah, and I made a covenant with her that together we would live life together. And what is mine is hers, and what is hers is mine. And we will be married, and we will share everything for the rest of our lives. We made a covenant. And as I looked around our new home this week, I realized, man, this is the blessing of being in covenant. I get to experience these blessings. The blessings that grandfather had for this family, I get to now experience. And I'm not here boasting about it. I'm not here to say, oh man, my family is so great. That's not what I'm here to say. What I'm trying to do is testify of God's faithfulness and wanting you to understand and and grow in the confidence that we have in a God who makes a covenant with us and there are blessings that come with that covenant in the same way that I'm experiencing this blessing. I want you to be able to face life's challenges, life's 
disappointments, life's concerns with a confidence so that we can say the same thing the Apostle Paul said here in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. Take a look. Here's what it says. It says, for all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. All of God's promises. And so that's what we're camping out over this season doing is looking at where did God make these promises? What did he do to confirm and his commitment to these promises? And we've gone all the way back to the beginning. And last week, uh, we met a person by the name of Abram. Everybody say Abram. I'm going to say, say it one more time so I can open my water. Say Abram. Abram. There, I did it. <laughs> we met Abram. And much like a marriage engagement, we saw that God came to Abram and invited him into a relationship that would ultimately not only bless him, his family, his descendants, and us. Isn't that right? That's what we found out. We concluded with this New Testament book found in the book of Galatians that clarifies how those blessings that were, that were spoken over Abram are available for us today. Take a look. Galatians 3.28 says this. There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. Those promises that God spoke over Abraham are promises for you. In the same way that the blessing that came from Henry Placencia down to his family, I now, through the covenant with the relationship with Leah, get to experience those blessings. This is what I want us to see today. And what I'm going to spend a little more time today on, before we jump over to Moses and David and then ultimately to the new covenant, is I want to spend a little bit more time with Abram. And I want to help convince you that God is serious about keeping his promises. Because that's why God entered into a covenant relationship. A covenant with all the different elements that, that he, he exercised to show us. Remember a couple of weeks ago when we first got into it, we talked about the different elements of a traditional covenant ceremony. Well, I'm just going to throw them on the screen for you just to remind you if you want to take a picture of that to go back and look at those again. In a traditional covenant ceremony between tribes and cultures for ages, <coughs> people around the world would enter into covenants. And these are the different aspects of a covenant ceremony. Last week in Genesis chapter one, we saw how God swore. So there was the swearing. Number five was the swearing. God swore to keep his promises. And then God said, here are the blessings and the curses. That's number six there in our covenant ceremony. God did that. Let me remind you from Genesis 12, one through two. Here's what it said. It said, the Lord said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives and your family's family, your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. Blessings. I will bless you and make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. So God gives these blessings and he swears to do that. Now, there are people, when they look at the Bible, there are people alive today that think the Bible is just a bunch of nice stories. Hollywood loves to look at the Bible and go, these are great stories. Let's go ahead and tell some of these stories. It's a lot of talk, but they don't think that the Bible is really relevant for today or is powerful and has action that can take place today. They feel it's outdated, irrelevant. 
Many people view God as all talk, but no action. But in this, we're going to see that God is a God of action. And when we look through the Bible and we look at how he speaks promises and then fulfills those promises, we realize God is a God of action. And he goes on to great lengths to prove that he will keep his covenant commitments. In verse 5 of chapter 12, we see where Abraham goes immediately after God had told him to leave. The Bible tells us that he went. And it says that he went to Canaan. But there was a famine in the land of Canaan. So he heads to the capital of the Middle East, Egypt. Everybody say Egypt. Egypt. Mm -hmm. At that time, it was the capital. So he makes his way to Egypt. Let's take a look at what it says in Genesis 12, 10. It says, now, there was a famine in the land. And Abraham went down to Egypt to dwell there. For the famine was severe in the land. Now, many of us have been experiencing a, an economic famine. The price of bread, the price of gas, everything is going up. And we're starting to look at our bank accounts and going, ooh, it's getting thinner and thinner. And we're facing economic famine here in the United States. Abraham was facing the same sort of thing. So he made some adjustments to his life according to what he felt was right. We read in the rest of chapter 12, without going into great detail, oh, Abraham faced some challenges in chapter 12. He didn't do things exactly right. He wasn't perfect. But God, through it all, showed himself faithful to Abraham to keep his promises and bless Abram. At the end of chapter 12, he leaves Egypt. And then we jump over into verse chapter 13. And this is where I want to camp out for a little while. Take a look. Chapter 13 says, Then Abram went from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and Lot, his nephew, had gone with him as well, to the south. Here's something I want you to look at. Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. Remember, this is a time of famine. He goes to Egypt looking for possibly maybe some business opportunities, etc. And we don't know when Abram initially acquired his wealth, but clearly we see that once the covenant is invoked from God to Abram, then his net worth begins to increase and continues to increase despite the economic turndown, despite the famine. Remember, God had promised Abram, I will bless you. And this passage, chapter 13, verse 1 and 2, proves that God is keeping his promise. That despite the famine, despite the, the economic turndown, Abram was wealthy. When others around were struggling, Abram was wealthy. The blessing had taken effect. Listen, it might surprise you, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but it might surprise you that, you know, money and wealth, there are more than 2,300 verses in the Bible about money and wealth. In the New Testament alone, Jesus' number one topic, you might think it was love, you might think it was forgiveness, you might think it was loving your enemies. Actually, it had to do with money. 15% of his teachings dealt with money. Often, it was dealing with, hey, the caution of money, right? We're cautioned that wealth and the love of money can cause us to go down the wrong paths. 
Matter of fact, the Apostle Paul, when he's talking to a young pastor, young Timothy, the Apostle Paul says these words in 1 Timothy chapter 6. He says, Timothy, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. Now, notice Paul isn't saying that money is evil. Money is neutral. Money is neutral. But it can, the love of money can cause all sorts of issues. And, and people, when we look about what's happening in the world today and what has happened in the past, the atrocities that have taken place, the abuse, the, the misuse has all been driven because of the love of money. So there's a huge warning here. And it says, and some people craving money have wandered from true faith and they've pierced themselves with many sorrows. Listen, this is vitally important for us. And I, I don't want to, I, I, I read that because when we read about Abraham, we go, oh, he was wealthy and rich. Oh, that would be really good. But there is some caution and it's vital to understand and to practice that the love of money can cause us to stray. But sometimes, however, sometimes in our effort to guard our hearts from the deceitfulness of riches, we can forget that God desires to provide for us, to bless us, so that for the purpose of being a blessing. You see, because we are his hands and feet here on earth. And he wants to bless with the intention of us being blessings. And if we're not blessed, if we're living deep, deep, deep in debt, how can we be a blessing? So God's desire is to provide and to provide well. That's why we're encouraged by the words of Jesus Christ, who was God in the flesh here on earth. Luke chapter 6, verse 38. What does he say? Here's how you guard your heart. Give. Everybody say give. Give. Here's how you avoid the love of money. Be a giver. And what does it say? There's a promise with it. Give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. See, in God's economy, it's about a heart issue. And it's about us being willing to be givers. And God says, that's what I can use. Givers. See, all the way back to Abram, God keeps his covenant promise. And he blessed Abram, not just so that Abraham could be wealthy and amass all this stuff and just be powerful and hoard. No. What did God say? I will bless you and you will be a blessing to all nations. You see? There is a blessing when we're in covenant, but there's a reason for the blessing. Amen? Now, we're going to look at a few more of these chapters because I, I want us to be convinced that God is a promise keeper. We see throughout the next few chapters of Genesis how God confirmed his covenant commitment with Abram. Um, Craig, flash back to the list of covenants real quick because I want to show something. Number two. Everybody, what's number two say? Exchange of weapons. Okay, take a look at this now. This symbolized, as you remember, protection, right? When, when two tribes would come into a, a, a covenant, one tribal leader would take off his weapon belt and give it to the other tribal leader, basically saying, I am there for you. I will protect you. I will fight for you. I want to show you where God does that. 
with Abram. Take a look at Genesis 15.1. It says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. Man, I love this. I love this, and you should too, because what God is saying, Abram, he was getting ready to face something that was uncertain. He was getting ready to face a situation that he thought he could die, and God appears to him in a vision and says, oh, hold on here. I'm going to exchange my weapon with you. And God doesn't have man kind of weapons. God isn't sitting up there with a whole bunch of guns or bazookas or, you know, whatever you want to say. He doesn't have physical or human styles of weapons. You know what he says? I'll give you me. I'll give you me. And what, what kind of word does he say? What kind of weapon? What does it say there? What is it? Shield. I love that. God says, don't worry. Don't be afraid. I will be your shield. God chooses very specifically what kind of weapon he's going to give to Abram. And it's protection. Doesn't that sound good? As we're getting ready to move into this new house, I'm thinking, okay, well, what am I going to need to do? There's old windows, so I'm going to need to get locks, and I'm going to need to get, you know, uh, uh, the ring cameras and put them out there because, you know, I don't want us, I want us to be safe, right? I want protection. That's important to us. God knew that was important to Abram, and God says, I'll be your shield. You know, one of the most sophisticated weapons in all of the world right now is found in the country of Israel, and it's not a tank. It's not some sort of nuclear missile or drone. It's actually called the Iron Dome. I don't know if you've heard of it or not. It's an all-weather air defense system, and it protects the people of the country from incoming rockets. You see, Israel has many enemies, and many of those enemies want to see Israel be taken down. And so regularly, rockets are fired into this country almost on a daily and weekly basis. And this system called the Iron Dome strategically shoots down and scatters across the sky in a way that these rockets are taken down. And in, in, the, in May of 2021, Hamas, which is a, a group, an Islamic group that was out to take out Israel, fired 4,300 rockets at Israel in May of 2021. The Iron Dome took out 90% of those rockets that were shot over into Israel. The ones that weren't taken out fell in mostly unpopulated areas. Isn't that incredible? I mean, the sophistication of this defense system. Listen, even as sophisticated as the Iron Dome is, God promised Abraham that he would be his shield. It's more powerful than any iron dome that man can make. More powerful than any human creation. You have access to the God of the universe, the maker of heaven and earth, who says, I will be your shield. Remember what we said, those promises for Abraham, Abram, are for you too. In Christ Jesus, God's saying, I'll be your shield. I'll be your shield, Jessica. I'll be your shield. I'll be your shield. Kathy, I'll be your shield. Kelly, I'll be your shield, Ryan. I'll be your shield, Mike. I'll be your shield. This is what God is saying. Later on, the Apostle Paul, in the New Testament, he would phrase it this way. 
Take a look at what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. He says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. The word carnal means man-made or flesh, of the flesh. That's what carnal means. It says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God. Woo! It's, it's comparison. I, I love how Paul's comparing that. He's like saying, well, you got your swords, you've got your guns, you've got your bullets, and you got all that. Those are man-made. But your weapons are mighty. As if to say, those aren't very powerful. Those are going to fail. Those are going to lock up. Those are going to get jammed. But yours are powerful. They're mighty, it says, in God for pulling down strongholds. The Apostle Paul says, your weapons are of God. He is your shield, and you don't have to fear. The words that God specifically said to Abraham, don't fear, don't fear. I'll be your shield. Somebody here today came to church, and you need to hear, God is your shield. I don't know what you're going through, but I'm impressed by the Holy Spirit right now that you need to hear, God's your shield. God's your shield. Don't be afraid. So here's what we've seen. God's trying to convince Abram, I am going to keep my promises. And he's going through all these little covenant ceremony elements, right? Take a look on the screen. He, he swears, as God swears. He, then he gives the blessings and the curses. And then he exchanges his weapons. I want to show you one more. We don't have time to go into it, but I'm going to show you one more. And here it is, the exchanging of names. The exchanging of names. And this, to me, could be the most significant. This is why I want to highlight it today. Chapter 17, we find that Abram is now 99 years old. From chapter 12 to chapter 17, 24 years have gone past. And over those period of chapters and over those period of years, God continues to confirm his covenant through various meetings and engagements with Abram. Traditionally, now, a blood covenant, if we go back to human traditions, a blood covenant ceremony usually lasts for a few days, sometimes even a few weeks. But God, for some reason, takes a few years. He elongates the covenant ceremony for years. Maybe it was to help Abram along the journey be convinced that he was with him, that he would be for him, that he would protect him, that he would provide for him all along the journey. I'm not sure why. But here we pick up where Abram is now 99 years old. And now there's going to be a radical change in God's relationship with Abram and then ultimately us. Take a look at 17. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am almighty God. Pause there for a second. God reveals himself as mighty. I want you to see that. He's coming as strong, as strength to say, I am almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and you. And I will multiply you exceedingly. He's repeating what he said 24 years before. 24 years before, he said that he would multiply him and make him a great nation. Now, God is reiterating that once again. And I will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying, 
As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. And you got to say, if you got the Hebrew, you have to get that back of your throat when you say, let's all try that. Abraham. Go ahead and say it. Abraham. That's right. I cough it all. And I cough it up there, that back of the throat. Abraham. It's significant. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. And I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you and their generations. For, here we go. For an everlasting covenant. This wasn't just for a short period of time. This wasn't for five, ten years. It says from generation to generation, everlasting. God is giving us a glimpse that this covenant is eternal. An everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. In Hebrew, Abram means father. Abram means father. Abraham is translated as father of many. So that's obvious why God changed his name. No longer you just can be a father, but you will be a father of multitudes. But I want to show you something very interesting that I discovered years ago as I studied and dug into this. Fascinating. Traditionally in a covenant, uh, Tatiana and Elijah made a covenant relationship just a few months ago. Tatiana, what was your name before? Vickers. Tatiana Vickers. What is your name now? Hamilton. You went into a covenant relationship and your name was changed, which is tradition. Now, in modern times, we have certain modern traditions that we're establishing. For example, the hyphen, right? It's popular in modern times. You could have been Tatiana Vickers Hamilton with a little hyphen. And she's like, no, I don't like that. It's too much to write. I don't want to write all that. But some have done that. My children, Emma and Colson, actually took on a brand new name that was neither their previous, neither of their previous last names, but established a very new name based on these passages of scripture that God was doing something new. I want to tell you, I want to show you something. In the Old Testament... Primarily, God is referred to as the Lord. Take a look on the screen really quickly, this first point. God's names. In the Old Testament, the first way we see is God is referred to as the Lord. Now, if you go back to Hebrew, we pronounce, in the English language, we pronounce the Lord this way. We pronounce it as Yahweh. Maybe you've heard that in songs. Maybe you've heard that over the years. Yahweh. Everybody say Yahweh. We take that from the Hebrew language. We say Yahweh because we need consonants. In the English language, we need the A, E, I, O, U, Y, E after I, I after E, Y before C. I don't know all those rules. But we need vowels to go with the consonants. That's the reason we pronounce it this way. But if you were to look at the original Hebrew and translate their symbols to English symbols, it would look more like this. Y-H-W-H. Yahweh. Yahweh. Take out the A, take out the E. And add that back of the throat sound. Let's all try it together. Ready? Begin. Yahweh. 
Yahweh. I know it's difficult because we're used to having those vowels to break up those consonants, but this is how it would be written from the Hebrew symbols to the English symbols on the name of God. Okay, so here's what's cool about this. Check it out. <laughs> what was Abram's name? A-B-R-A-M. Abram. Notice that God's name in Hebrew, what's the primary letter there? What's the dominant letter? H. There's two of the four letters are the letter H, right? It's the dominant one. And in Hebrew, that letter H is pronounced he or ch. Oh. It's pronounced ch. Hmm. So what God does there is not only does he give him a name that means father of many nations, but God literally takes a part of his name and inserts it into Abram's name. No longer would he be Abram, but he would be Abraham. And a part of God's name would now be in his name forever. Over the last couple of weeks, you've been hearing me use the word Abram, Abram, Abram. And some of you who know the Bible go, why does he keep saying Abram? It's Abraham. Oh, yes, it was Abraham. It was Abram, but now it's Abraham. Abraham. Abram becomes Abraham. And not only Abraham, but Abraham's wife, Sarai. Take a look in verse 15 of chapter 17. Then God said to Abraham, now he's calling him Abraham, Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her Sarai. But what does he say? What does it say? Sarah. Try to add that H sound again. Yeah, very good. <laughs> Dino got that down. Sarah. I know it doesn't sound very friendly. Sarah sounds much more friendly. But Sarah will be her name. Sarai becomes Sarah. God inserts his name into her name as well. So she would then be the mother of many nations. And her identity is no longer apart from God, but with God. See, one of the things about a marriage covenant today where names are changed, and I'm a big fan of name changing, because there's a new identity when you're in a covenant. Whether you take on one person's name, or you hyphenate a name, or you create a new name, a new name means a new identity. So I'm a big fan of that in marriage covenants. That a new name is established because now there is a new relationship. No longer am I inter-independent from you. I am now interdependent with you. This is what God is saying. I'm going to give you my name, Abraham, Sarah. I'm going to give you my name. Forever they would be known. And their new identity would always be found in God. But check this out. Not only does their name change, but God's name changed. What do you mean, Pastor Kelly? Prior to this, prior to this, the first 17 chapters of the Bible, the term used for this being that we know is God. That's how we referenced him, God, Yahweh. But moving forward, what you would then begin to read is frequently and regularly and all the time, it was the God of Abraham. 
the God of Abraham. The Bible would begin to refer to him as the God of Abraham. The Bible purposely referenced God as the God of Abraham. Why? Because of this covenant relationship. That God was now in relationship with mankind, and mankind was now in relationship with God. God went to extreme lengths to demonstrate his commitment. God would now identify with humanity. And humanity would now identify with God. The exchanging of names was a deliberate decision. Their identities would never be separated from each other ever, ever again. God went to extreme lengths to demonstrate his commitment. Tatiana, why don't you come on up? These examples are just a few ways that he swore to keep his promises. Today, as we close, why, Pastor Kelly, do we highlight that? Because in the beginning, Tatiana shared a passage of scripture from Hebrews. The same that says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The same God that made a covenant with Abraham saying, I want to insert my identity into your identity. I want you to identify with me beyond anything else in this world. And my promises will be with you is the same God who is available to you today who says, I want to imprint my identity in you. He says to Kelly, he says, Kelly, before you are an American, before you are a Californian, before you are a fellows, you are a Christian. And I know some people look at the name Christian and go, well, I don't know, that's so political. It means so many things. No, Christian means to be like Christ. I identify with Christ. And so my name is tied to that. My label is Christian. Before anything else, it is with Christ. It reminds me that I'm in covenant with him. And his promises to me are yes and amen. Today, you need to know where your identity is. The world is struggling with identity. They're confused and deceived and looking for identity in groups, organizations, lifestyles, and saying, this is my label, this is my identity. But the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob says to you, let your identity be in me. Your true identity. See, because remember what I read at the beginning. When you were knit together in your mother's womb, he fearfully and wonderfully made you. He imprinted him, his identity on you at the beginning. This is where our true identity is found. In our covenant relationship with God. You were created in his image in your mommy's womb. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. And this is why God has gone to such extreme lengths over the ages to confirm his covenant promises with mankind and then ultimately you. I want us to pray right now as we close. Would you take a moment to, wherever you're at, just kind of bow your head, get into a place of reflection, just for a moment. God's gone to extreme lengths to convince us that he's committed, that he's covenanted, and that he loves you. 
Ask him now to fill you with his Holy Spirit so that your confidence is identifying with him and not in some group, not in some organization, not in some movement, not in some lifestyle, but your identity is found in Christ Jesus. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you were blessed by today's message. For more great content and information about Refinery Church, find us at wearerefinery.com and our socials, We Are Refinery. If you would like to help support and give to the ministry, visit our website at wearerefinery.com forward slash give. See you on our next episode at the Refinery Church Podcast.